0: Hello everybody, welcome back. This week is Parshat Bahar and we're continuing with the halachas of Gineva's Das. This is part two. When making any kind of advertisement, it's very important to be careful about Gineva's Das. For example, if a clothing store, or any kind of store for that matter, but if a clothing store would write on its circular or email ads that this particular skirt, shirt, dress is reduced 70% from its price of, let's say, $100, right? $30, 70% down. But in truth, they never ever sold it for $100 at all. That like, that was never the price. But they write that because it sounds good. It's a 70% reduction. They just want it to seem like you're getting a very good deal. That's Gnavis death. Even if they did at one point sell it for $100, but that was like, ages ago, centuries ago, like three years ago. They sold it for $100, and that hasn't been the price for, for years. So that's not even a relevant price anymore. anymore That's also Geneva's Das. The truth is that any misinformation is Geneva's Das when it comes to advertising. Writing that your store has the cheapest prices in town when you know that they don't, or writing that your camp has the best trips, activities of any camp when you know that it doesn't, it is also going to be and <clears throat> this is the the worst thing because this happens a lot. That if a person posts a review online or a recommendation, and it's not true, it's going to be And sometimes people, and this is very common in in uh, you know when people are selling on Amazon or any of these websites, they write their own reviews. They review their own product, posing at someone else coming from a different email so that they should start getting, you know, building up the reviews, and that's also going to have <clears throat> <Even>, a <clears throat> Even if you don't do anything or say anything outright, but simply by not saying something, you're misleading a person, it can also be going to be For example, if an employer wants to give you or whoever a raise, but you are planning on quitting in a month. It would be wrong to accept the raise without letting the employer know that you're planning on quitting because, you know, taking that money without letting him know that would also be named as that. Same kind of thing. If a person signs up for a camp, for a program, for a club, with the intent of pulling out or pulling your child out after only half the time, that this club generally goes on or the camp continues, it would be Geneva's Daa to not share this information with the camp or the club. There might actually be a monetary obligation here which would require a a Shiloh. But even in situations where there's no monetary obligation, they didn't write that into their contract, that's the whole complicated thing for itself, but assuming even if there's no monetary obligation at all, that's not the issue. Simply enrolling your child in a camp Giving them the impression that you want to keep them there for the whole summer and thereby kind of tricking them into taking your kid into the club, camp, etc., is also given <clears throat> If here, here, this is this is where things get a little bit even more even more sensitive. If you invite someone for a meal or you offer them a favor, and you know with a certainty that they will refuse either because you happen to know they've been already invited or because they already have that favor that you're offering them. For example, like, you know, you offer them a ride to a chasma when you already know that they have a ride, or you know they're not going. That's also Gedeva's Das, because you're only, why are you doing that? Like, why are you inviting them for a meal if you know they have a meal? Why are you offering them a favor? You're just trying to get brownie points. Now, it happens to be that sometimes the people will end up taking you up, they'll end up taking you up on your invitation and, if that's a possibility, it wouldn't be a ganevizas. And I mentioned this to some people. They said, "Yeah, it's happened often enough that their brownie point invitation, com- uh, you know, double quotation have backfired on them, and they actually didn't end up having that person over or whatever it was." So that wouldn't be a ganevizas. But if it's you're no with a certainty, there's no way it's going to go through, and you're just doing it to like make the person think you you know you really like them. That's a, a form of a desk. Um Again, if you really would invite them you know you truly would invite them and you you, you the, the fact that you're trying to invite them is very honest that's not gonna be that i'm only talking about when you really would not invite them you have absolutely no plan of inviting them but you're only inviting them this shabbos because you know that they're going to refuse that is gonna be that this doesn't include inviting people to a simcha that you're making who you are pretty sure will not accept because that's widely viewed as simple respect to send an invitation to your acquaintances regardless of whether you expect them to come or not. So that's that's understood. When replying to an invitation and declining, it's also important to be careful about your name as well. Someone sends you an invitation and you have absolutely no intent at all to go to that wedding bar mitzvah bris. But you respond that, oh, I would really love to come, but I can't come because of a conflict. It might even be true, but that would be misleading because you're intimating that you really would come, but you just simply can't. And if, if it's not true, you wouldn't really come, then that's going to be a Now, it does depend because let's say the, the person that you're talking to or you're writing back to would actually get offended if you simply declined. If that's the case, then you don't really have a choice, and we'll see soon that that's allowed. You're allowed to give an excuse simply not to offend the other person. But sometimes that's not the case, they don't care either way. And you're just, like, writing up a whole excuse when you're declining, which you totally didn't have to do, then that's misleading. Now, as we just mentioned, there is a heter to engage in your neighbor's dat in order to preserve the peace or to make peace between people. The above example is a good case when you give an an excuse why you're not coming to a simcha, although you anyway wouldn't have gone, just so not to uh, offend the person. But even if the deception is more direct, for example, you tell someone how that other person did you a favor? You don't even realize they did you this, this kind of favor. And the reason why you're saying that is because you want to encourage them to make up and make peace. They've been in a fight or they have a grudge against each other. So you want to kind of get them back together. So you tell them, oh, you don't realize what that person did for you or how nicely they spoke about you. So, you know, that's, that, that can be both Geneva's um, Das and, in addition, it can be to- a total lie. It might not have even happened. And both are permitted for this reason. And the concept here is twofold. First of all, it's a mitzvah to make peace. And secondly, specifically in the case of making peace, the Gemara says that you're allowed to deviate from the truth. So therefore, both, it's, a, it's permitted to bend the, the truth, let's call it, and it's permitted to do G'nai as, if your intent is just to make a person come back together, get two people back together, and to, to encourage peace. And this is similar to what we know Aaron Akayen used to do. He would attempt to make peace between two Jews who were fighting by telling each one how much the other would desire to make shalom, and he would even say things that the other person never said, because I'll make this clear. And the hatter is to make peace. Now, obviously, this has to be applied with much thought and advice, because this can easily backfire, and if it does backfire, it'll make the situation a lot worse. The same heter applies if uh, you will be doing some form of Ganeva in order to save a person from doing an Avera. Another application of this concept is when you're obligated to show a person respect and you really want to honor them. A Rebbe, a parent, someone Khashog, even if you know they will refuse, you can offer them the honor. For example, you offer a Rebbe to make a bracha by your wedding or any such covet even though you know he'll be out of town, but you want to demonstrate that you truly want to honor the Rebbe, that's permitted. Because, again, it's, it's, it's sincere. Yes, you know he won't accept, and perhaps you wouldn't even have been able to give him the covet because of all other complications, but your intent is sincere. You really do want to honor that person, and you're actually obligated to honor that person, so that wouldn't be Das. In this week's Parsha, we learn of the mitzvahs of Shemitah and Yoivel. Shemitah is every seventh year. The Torah commands that the land in Eretz Yisrael must be abandoned. fallow. No one can work on it. After every seven Shemitah cycles, 49 years, the 50th year begins the Yovel year, which in addition to the land being abandoned, all slaves and servants, which means Jewish uh, slaves, Abbot Ivri and, and Shifcha um, and Amma avria, so both of those kind of Jewish servants, they go free. The Torah commands us to blow Shofar, and that, that's blown on Yom Kippur during the Yovel year, and that's the point in time when all slaves went free. So much so that Rashi says that the name Yovel, the word Yovel, really means Shofar. We call the whole year in, because of the fact that it begins with blowing of a Shofar. And that's very interesting. What's so significant of this blowing of the Shofar? Why, did, why was it even important? Why was it necessary? So the Sefer Chinuch analyzes the significance of blowing the shifer. And the Chinook points out that the mitzvah of sending away your servants slaves was very, very difficult for a slave owner to carry out. I mean, imagine what it would be like if a person would have all these employees that don't have to pay, no salaries, Social Security, taxes, pensions, blue cross, nothing, no complaints, no not coming to work, no sick days. It was close to having free labor. And all of a sudden, they had to wave goodbye to all their slaves. Slave owners had a major financial loss. And if we would want to think that this is not so hard, remember, our whole country went to war over this. The Civil War was fought because of the inability of the South to relinquish their slaves. Many people died because of this issue. It's a very, very hard thing to do. The Chinuch says that in order to give the people the strength and the encouragement to fulfill this very difficult mitzvah, the Torah required the sounding of the shofar throughout Eretz Yisrael to give everyone the sense that they're not alone in doing this mitzvah and making this sacrifice. It's a transpiring throughout the whole land. Everybody's doing it. When the shofar sounded throughout Eretz Yisrael, the slave owner recognized, I'm not the only one taking a financial loss here. Everybody's doing this. Everybody has to send out their slaves today. And the Chinuch emphasizes that nothing strengthens people like a universal public action. The fact that everybody's doing it is the greatest source of encouragement. And that, according to the Chinach, is why the Posh was blown. If everybody has to do it, it's easier for me to do it too. Historically, in Eretz Yisrael, we see in Tanakh that this is a big Nesayim, which many of the wealthy Jews are not able to withstand. In Yirmiyo, Perak Lamed Dalet, Hashem tells Yirmiyo HaNavi that Tzedkiyo HaMelech, the very last king, Of had gathered all the lords and nobles, all the sarim, and they together made a covenant, a bris. They all swore together that they would send their slaves and maidservants, their Jewish slaves and Jewish women slaves, they'd send them free. What caused them to make this covenant? Why did they have to all get together? Because they were under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and there was an impending harbin looming, and they were looking for his to be saved. So they all agreed, and they participated in this bris, this covenant, And they sent their slaves free. But then the nobles, they regretted it. And they chased down their slaves and they forcibly indentured them and made them work. They just simply couldn't do it. Hashem then tells the Navi that this sealed their fate. And the Pasik lists out all the terrible punishments of the Harbin that they would have to suffer because they imposed themselves as masters. Hashem says, if you are the master and not freeing those under you, then I won't be your master and I'll free myself from you and allow Nebuchadnezzar free reign over you to do what he wants. And so we see that they all recognize, or at least Titkeo Hamelech realized, that they have to collectively agree to keep this mitzvah. There's no other way. You can know that something's bad, but the chinuch says, you need that encouragement, you need that support that everybody is doing it together. And what we see from here is the importance of community. Not only as a spouse, and immediate family, a tremendous influence, but the community that we live in is such a powerful force. If everybody does something in one way, we'll feel obligated to conform, good or bad, and we'll act better than we usually would because of community standards, and it can also have the opposite effect as well. You know, everybody's doing that. We just don't outgrow that kind of thing. And children certainly can't withstand peer pressure and they're human beings, and whatever their peers do, they will do. So, if we find them communities or groups or friends that are the right kind of friends, if we try our best. Not always up to us, not in our hands, but whatever we can do, we do. That has a very powerful effect. That's what the Torah is telling us: take, make use of this shayfar, make use of this this powerful, you know, tool that we have. It's important to realize also within a community how important it is to try and be a part of a group doing a mitzvah. It has tremendous power. We see a group undertaking a certain mitzvah, whether it's chesed, whether it's tnius, whether it's this, whether it's that, davening, any kind of mitzvah that people are doing together, it's a big thing to be a part of it. It's a tr- great schus when people come together and form groups in order to give chizuk to each other. These groups are for- formidable power and they, they have this schus of a rabbim and tremendous siyaz That's what Terry is telling us. You have this power. Make use of it. One of the basics of the mussar movement when Rabbi Yisrael Salanter established it and it was adopted by yeshivas, it wasn't just that they learned mussar, and another thing was that they learned Musr out loud, but they had groups. They made groups, they had vadim, that did Musa together, they would teach each other, they would give each other schmoozes, they would hold each other to a high standard. It was group support at its best. Rav Yaakov Galinsky's etzal describes many times how powerful this was when his group from his yeshiva, they were ex- exiled together to Siberia, how much chizuk they would give each other, and because this was something they had learned to do in yeshiva. So they were able to carry on in Siberia with no swarms, with no nothing, you know, with, with being tortured and suffering in the cold. This is what gave them power. It gave them chizuk. It gave them hope. This aspect of the Muslim movement is largely forgotten to form groups, to be able to do Musa, take on Musa in Yonam together. But lately, it's become a little bit more popular and a few different people have been forming these kind of groups and it's a tremendous chizuk and it's a beautiful thing. That's the power of the Shaifa. That's the concept of yoyvel, which begins with a shifer, because these kind of mitzvahs simply are not possible to be done alone. We need the fact, the support of the community to know that everybody's doing it together. We're all in it together, and we're doing this as a community. Have a good night and a good Shabbos.